Well, many months ago, I said to Ben, would you like to speak this year on Sunday when we have our Memorial Day service? And he immediately said, yes, which let me know that he had something on his heart to share. And he truly, he truly does. Ben Hancock graduated from Virginia Tech in 1968. He was drafted into the United States Army the same year. He spent one year in Vietnam, 1969. Upon returning home, he married his sweetheart, Lynn, on Valentine's Day. They've been married 48 years. They moved to Virginia Beach in 1971 when Ben bought into Gentle Rain Irrigation, and he bought the company in 1979, retired from Gentle Rain in 2012. Ben and Lynn have two sons, Ben Jr. and Sam. They have a lovely daughter-in-law, Rayanne, twin grandsons, Trey and Jack. Ben serves and spends time at the SPCA. He plays with, with puppies and, and dogs and helps to get them socialized for adoption. Uh, he serves all over the place here at Spring Branch. Serves with mops, with ushering, with landscaping. During the Global Leadership Summit, you see him serving, doing everything and anything that is necessary and needed. In 2017, last year, he received the Out on a Limb Award for Outstanding Volunteer Service at Spring Branch. Will you please welcome our Memorial Day guest speaker, Ben Hancock. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. They heard the call, they gave their all, their names are etched upon the wall, forever young. Michael, I thank you for this opportunity to speak this morning. If you grew up in the Vietnam era, you realize that nobody liked to talk about it, and I fall into that category. But I am grateful to be here this morning and would like to dedicate my words to the just under 50 young men who lost their lives in mid-May of 1969 on and around Landing Zone Professional. I'm going to put on your hearts this morning three short passages of Scripture. The first is from Micah, the sixth chapter. What does the Lord, Lord require of you, O man, but to be fair and just and merciful and walk humbly with your God? The second from the 23rd Psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And the third from Romans, the 10th chapter, that if you confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm going to give you a little trivia this morning, a little background information tell you a little bit about that battle in mid-May, and then wrap it up with a story that came out of that battle. Last Memorial Day, there were three new names added to the wall. This year, there will be seven new names added. The number of names on the Vietnam Memorial will be 58,325 who gave their all. The first casualty of the Vietnam conflict took place 
in June of 1956. I wasn't even 11 years old then. Richard Fitzgibbon Jr. was the first casualty. In September of 1965, Richard Fitzgibbon III lost his life in Vietnam. He told his mother he wanted to see the country where his father had died. There were a total of three fathers and sons who lost their lives in that war. There were 31 sets of brothers who were killed, 31 sets of parents who lost two of their children. There were five young men who were 16 years old when they were killed in Vietnam. The youngest to die there was Marine Private Dan Bullock. Fifteen years, five months, 17 days old, forever young. As Michael said, I graduated in 1968 in June. By July, I had that letter from the Selective Service Committee saying that I was drafted into the United States Army. By August, I was in basic training, and by January, I was in Vietnam. I was assigned to the 1st Battalion, 46th Infantry, 196th Light Infantry Brigade. We were made up of five companies, and when we received orders in March that we were going to a new area of operation off of a small fire base called Landing Zone Professional, we went out with a field strength of approximately 575 men. In May of 1969, at about 2.30 in the morning of the 13th, the NVA launched a major offensive against LZ Professional and against two of our sister companies, Alpha and Echo. At 2.20 in the morning, a squad of NVA zappers snuck up the hill. Zappers were NVA soldiers that were especially trained to infiltrate through the concertina wire and get inside a bunker line. One of those zappers made it to the bunker line, throwing a satchel charge into one of the bunkers, killing the three men in that bunker. The other 12 didn't make it through the wire. I would like to even salute them for their bravery and their courage and their dedication to their belief. At about six o'clock that morning, as Alpha and Echo were moving out of their night defensive position, they came under a heavy attack. One young soldier was killed and four were wounded. A medevac helicopter was called in, and as it came in to pick up those wounded and the one killed, that helicopter came under intense fire. The co-pilot in that helicopter was shot in the head and immediately killed. They were able to get the wounded and the one dead soldier out, but that was the last helicopter that could come in to give any kind of aid to Alpha and Echo for the next 36 hours. Back on the fire base, 
at about 8.30, a large Chinook helicopter was coming in with resupply for the hill. As it was close to the ground, the NVA opened up with anti-aircraft weapons, 51 caliber machine guns, shooting the helicopter out of the sky. They opened up on the fire base with a 106 recoilless rifle from the adjacent hill, knocking out most of the artillery pieces, the mortar squad, the quad 50, and every piece of available equipment they could hit with that weapon. The number of wounded and killed was beginning to mount. It was almost impossible to get a helicopter in because it was estimated that they had surrounded the firebase with between 15 and 20 anti-aircraft pieces. So any helicopter trying to come in was under intense fire. All through the day of the 13th, Alpha and Echo, anytime they tried to maneuver out of this trap, met with intense hostile fire. The wounded and the dead in that field began to mount up. They spent a long night and the NVA would creep up and throw hand grenades into their position, causing more wounded and killed. On the morning of the 14th, Charlie Company, which was the company I was assigned to, was ordered to go to try to relieve the pressure on Alpha and Echo. After two failed attempts and two more wounded in our company and nine more killed in our company, it was finally determined that the only way to try to get Alpha and Echo out of this trap was to put down smoke for coverage. The problem was the only smoke available was white phosphorus, a very messy chemical, puts out a lot of smoke, but it also burns everything it touches. After an intense barrage of 155 rounds from the howitzers on a, another fire base, they figured there was enough coverage for them to try to maneuver. It was also determined that there weren't enough men to carry the wounded and the dead out of that battlefield. They had to leave those dead soldiers behind. That still stings. Once Alpha Company began to maneuver towards our position where we were laying down as much cover fire as we could, for whatever reason, the fire base that had been sending in that white phosphorus sent in one final round. It landed, unfortunately, too close to them. When Alpha Company was found and Echo were finally able to get to our position, it was determined that several of the men that had started out were missing. Captain Dunnigan, who had been a marvelous leader for Alpha Company and had done heroic things throughout that 36 hours, went back into the battlefield to try to find them. Captain Dunnigan had already been wounded twice, once from a grenade fragment that blew his jaw off, once in the arm that had put bone splinters into his hand, and he had a fractured foot. 
But he went back in and found one of the soldiers that had been hit by the white phosphorus who was critically wounded. And despite his own wounds, he was able to lift this soldier up and carry him back to our position. For everything that Captain Dunnigan did during that battle, he received the Congressional Medal of Honor, our nation's highest award for valor. We were finally able to call in medevacs to get as many of the wounded out. Captain Dunnigan was the last one to get on a helicopter to get out of there. On the morning of the 15th, we were ordered back to our fire base to try to resupport them. There was still a great fear that the NVA would mount a massive ground attack against the fire base. We finally made it back to the fire base about five o'clock that evening and up the side of the hill and through the concertina wire, through the trip flares. And when we made it back inside, of the roughly 315 men of Alpha, Charlie, and Echo, 97 of us made it back. The 16th was basically an uneventful day. A few probes that night, a few mortar rounds, but nothing of significance. On the morning of the 17th, one of the men from Alpha Company was going across the fire base to fill up canteens. As he walked across the fire base, he saw a soldier from Alpha Company that had been missing since the 14th. And he asked him, where did you come from? How did you get here? And the soldier looked up and said, Jesus has brought me back. He went on to tell the story that when that last barrage of 155 white phosphorus landed, he was blown down and knocked unconscious. By the time he came to, the only thing he could hear were the helicopters that had moved back over the battlefield. The smoke was beginning to lift. He had no direction or no idea what direction to go in. And as that smoke was lifting, he saw where an old tree had fallen, and he crawled over and hid beside that tree trunk. As it got nightfall and the helicopters had left the battlefield, and it got dark, he began to hear the NVA searching the battlefield. They were policing the area for anything and everything they could find. They would strip the dead soldiers, remove any gear they had. And this young soldier figured it was just a matter of time before they found him. He said he started praying, Jesus, help me. Jesus, I'm afraid. Please help me. And he continued to pray this. He said all of a sudden, everything got very quiet, but it was a very peaceful quiet. And he heard this voice say, come up here and sit with me. And he looked up and sitting on that tree stump was Jesus. He got up and they talked and Jesus said, I'm going to get you back safe and sound. I'm going to walk you back. 
but you have to promise me that you will not carry a weapon again. The young soldier said that the next thing he remembered after that was when that other soldier from Alpha Company said, how did you get here? Where did you come from? He was sent to the aid station on the hill where the battalion surgeon determined that he was probably in shock. He was definitely dehydrated and may have suffered a concussion when that explosion took place so close to him. He was sent back to Chulai to the hospital back there. He continued to tell this story over and over again. The Army finally decided that maybe a psychiatrist would help. They actually brought in three. They talked to him, and he continued to tell the same story. Their conclusion was that in his heart, in his mind, he really felt that this had occurred, that this is what had happened to him. And he was finally evacuated to Japan for further evaluation. I will tell you why I believe today, just as much as I did 49 years ago, that that young soldier walked humbly with his God. I know he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And I know that he confessed with his tongue that Jesus is Lord and believed in his heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. The one thing that the psychiatrist and everybody else had left out of their reports was the roughly 180 men on the bunker line that night. For that young soldier to have come up the side of that fire base through the concertina wire, through the trip flares, the booby traps, and never make a sound to walk right past the men on the bunker line who were nervous and afraid because of the possibility of a major ground assault and never be seen would have been impossible unless he walked with Jesus. I have been a Christian all of my life and I'm blessed for that. I know that throughout my life, Jesus has walked with me. Even when I got off the path, Jesus would stop and wait for me to see the light and get back on the path. He never pushed. He never pulled. He walked along beside me. I know that Jesus led me to Spring Branch. And I am so grateful for this community of believers. We are blessed to know just how much Jesus loves us. And my prayer for you today is that you walk humbly with your God and that you are proud to confess that Jesus is Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was so obedient to your will and to your word that he would allow himself to suffer a horrible, painful death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. We thank you that we know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life.
Amen. Thank you.